Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and today I am joined by an extraordinary guest, whom you may know from crafting the pioneering sounds of British punk rock in the 1970s as an original member of the Sex Pistols, and has recorded with Iggy Pop and The Damned, just to name a few. Please welcome to the show musician and Queens Park Rangers supporter, Glenn Matlock. Welcome, Glenn. How you doing, Sal? All right? Come on, Tutta a posto. Come stai? Oh, I'm, I'm trying to learn Italian, actually. And I, I just got back from Rome last week. And um, a friend of mine, Francesco, who's a journalist for Il Manifesto, he, he's coaxing me. Oh, wow. And, right, and we normally go there. This is football-related. We normally go to this restaurant, Dante, which is kind of like a family restaurant, traditional. It's open late for the after theater crowd. We get lots of politicians there. They're Russian model wives and footballers. And when we went last week, and it was probably, what's today, Friday? So week and one day, last Thursday, because I came back on Friday, we was there, and there's sort of a young son who's inherited the place, took it over. He's talking to Mike Francesco. He's going, pranzo, you know, lunchtime. Blah, 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 blah. Il Capitan. And I'm going, blah, blah, blah. I thought, hang on, Il Capitan, I know that. And Totti had been in there. Oh, wow. And they was all talking about him. They don't even call him Totti. They call him the captain, you know. Yeah. So there you go. If there's a man who can run that city better than any Caesar ever could, it would be. I mean, he has the power to do it too. But the the thing, my my friend is an inter-Milan fan. Okay. Just when he was at, because Lukoko was there or something like that. But the staff are all Roma fans, right? And if he's supporting anybody, he would support Lazio from Rome, but he supports Inter. But so he likes to see Lazio beat Roma. <laughs> but they got beat 6 1 last night, and he texted me, he's going, Aha, I'm going to really stir it up when I go in. <laughs> yeah, well, those Raiders are definitely spitting in his food, that's for sure. <laughs> you better watch out. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to hear more stories just like that and more of your story. Uh, what's great about here, starting off with that piece, is, is that we're seeing civilization come back to life a little bit after the year in lockdown COVID that we had, you know, there are certain things that seem to go hand in hand with British culture. And that is football and music due to the COVID pandemic. We saw both of them stripped of fans as a musician. What is that experience like to have no one around with you in concert? And what's it like getting back on stage? Um, well, I haven't really got back on stage properly yet. I've done a couple of things. I've actually got a tour kicking off end of this week so i've got my whole i've got about 14 solo shows around the uk and scotland um and i've got a couple of band shows in between that um so i don't i don't really know when it first happened not blessing relief i was supposed to be coming to america um and then i couldn't i was going to open up for the dropkick murphys in boston on st patrick's day um they're sort of chums of mine and they invited me to that that didn't happen i had dozen solo shows because I do quite a good acoustic show, sort of the Bob Dylan, the punk kind of thing. Couldn't do any of that. And I was like, oh, but I'd been touring in the UK just before lockdown with my band, the L Slicks in, and he got stuck here in London with me. So I wasn't really alone. And, and we did a few sort of FaceTime live things and we kind of cultivated this, um, the odd couple of, of rock thing. 
I'm Jack Lemon and he's bought a Matto with knobs on, you know. So, well, it's like going back on a stage, apart from doing a show in Sicily, which I told you before we started recording um, last summer, and I did one in on that's been about it, really. So, we'll see, you know, we'll see. All right. You know, but I've been busy recording and doing this, that, and the other, and there's always a certain amount of business one has to do. But, you know, getting back to football, I have started going regularly to football this season. I invested in a season ticket with my son. We're going, in fact, tomorrow, we're going to go to our, We've been to every home game this season, and we are going to go to our first away game tomorrow afternoon in Peterborough, which is sort of halfway up. It's about a two-hour drive from London. So. Great. How is... What's it like being back in the stadium? What's it like that ambiance and atmosphere? And is there any hesitation or awkwardness when you arrive? Well, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to be on most people's part. There is on mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I always drive down their park, get there a bit earlier so you can find a parking spot, wait outside till the thing, and then wait till people go in. And then I go with my mask on. It's not that many people wear a mask. But then you're outside. So, you know. Right. I still sit at the end of the road. I'm still a bit guarded about it. Me too. To yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's, but, but we've got to live our lives as well. So Absolutely. And, and we've got to support the Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah. Well, that oh, yeah. leads me perfectly into my next question. So you're a Queen's Park Rangers supporter, which is in a city of so many clubs to choose from. What made you fall in love with QPR? It's, it's a family thing, really. Um, my, my dad supported them. And he, he floated between them and Arsenal, he likes. My granddad supported Queen's Park Rangers. It was the local team. So they, there you go, really. And then we, when I started following them, 1967, so I was 10 going on 11, we won the third division, we won the League Cup, we went straight up to the second division, and then we went straight up to the first division all in consecutive seasons, which nobody had done. And it was when I started supporting them. So, and then we did quite well for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then I got involved with punk rock a bit later on. And I think, you know, back then, you say it's, it's music and football. Back then, to me, it was one or the other. You know, when you're in a band and things are picking up, you start travelling the world. You can't normally go all the time. So it's one or the other. Um, so I kind of... We nearly won the Premiership one season, and I kind of missed out on that a little bit because I was occupied elsewhere, or I'd had a skinful the night before, and I would get up to like the game, <laughs> which is kind of what happens as well. But we had some fantastic players. You know, Rodney Marsh was my all-time hero who moved to America, and we managed Tampa Bay Roadies for for quite a while, you know, a, a, a while back. You know, um, Stan Bowles. We had American. Quite a very good striker called Roy Wegley in the nineties. I think he played for for America. Um, yeah, ups and downs, but we're not doing bad at the moment. We, I think we're third or fourth. There's only a few points in it in the title race. So, All right. You know, we, we're no we're no schmoes or schmucks or. Well, that, that's exactly it. You know, and there's also something that I love is that it's so incredibly punk rock to love a team. That is just so scrappy and well. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this now. 
I, I, I used to go down there with him, but I haven't seen him for a little bit. Mick Jones from the Clash supports QPR. Oh, wow. um, Pete Doherty. Yep. Um, as as a guy you wouldn't really know, him. a guy called Robert Helms, who's on the radio over it quite a lot. He's a bit more of a child of the eighties, but he was involved with early Spandau Ballet and stuff. He supports them. I actually went. My son couldn't come the other week, and I took this other guy down, Neil um, Mackenzie, who was actually the first person to photograph Spandau Ballet in San Tropez. He came wow. down. He's a QPR fan, and maybe four or five seasons was down there. I was having a cup of tea with Mick Jones at half time. There's quite a good looking lady who's looking at sort of staring at us and we thought all oh, we'd been recognised and she sort of came over and then she said, excuse me, are you, and we thought she was going to say Mick Jones from the Clash and Glenmallet from Sex Pistols. She said, are you sure if that's Bruce Welsh from the shadows behind you? We turned around that it was. <laughs> <laughs> So there's also, and I like going down the road because there's good quality, funny swearing. <laughs> you know, QPR has got that interesting legacy that you were just discussing. And in nearly 140 years of existence, they've experienced it all, but never won the top flight of English football, nor an FA Cup, nor a charity shield. So what's it like supporting a team that, despite its rich history, has never been the favorites? Um... Well, I don't know. It's, it's like, I think it's like struggle for success through adversity. Um, it kind of mirrors life itself, right? And it's, I think it's easy. You know, sometimes we play Chelsea. I'm Paul, Paul Cook, the Chelsea fan, he came down with me. He made movies in the Premiership, I don't know, five, six years ago. And we was beating them at half time and he left because <laughs> they weren't doing very well. And, you know, I think that's, that's wrong. That's cheating, basically. But it was like Chelsea are so used to winning that they can't handle losing. Whereas we're so used to losing that every time you win, it's just a bonus. But we don't lose all the time. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's life in microcosm. Possibly. No, absolutely. You know, because there is something to be said for the tenacity and patience of fans who support a club like QPR. Like, explain that. Explain how... You know, what's it like? As you said, it's a reflection of life, but that, you know, you, you're so, when those riches come, like in terms of wins, that's got to be the greatest feeling on earth. Yeah, but I don't really know what it's like. We, know, <laughs> well, we won promotion, you know, we won the League Cup. We had a couple of games against um, foreign teams. Um, when we won the League Cup on... Like 1967 or 68, you know, then the next season you, you get into some European playoff thing. We actually played Bratislava Slovnath. I've never heard of since. And I still got the programme somewhere, but that was one of our, our few games. I don't know. It's, you, you just get kind of stuck with it. I'm not a great statistician. Mm -hmm. I, I just go for the vibe. I go for the... You know, I still see friends from, from junior school there I bump into, which is kind of cool. And, and it's like you support your local team. And what annoys me most about football is in London, and I wind up people about this, you know, so many people support Man United who never go. Right. What's that, yeah. all, what's that all about? You know, it's, it's like it's rubbish. I go through thick and thin, and, and it's a good bonding thing with my son who's into it.
now is a bit more on, you know, all the facts and all things. But um, I think they're going to do well. I think they're going to be contenders this season. Great. But um, I also, there's a few other teams I have a soft spot for. And a couple of years back, I went to play in Argentina with like, a pickup band of Argentinians. And there's the guy who looks after them and invited me over, Walter Marcus. He took me to see his team. And I was almost like the guest of, well, I was the guest of honour. I ended up on the pitch, you know, done an announcement and got taken to the trophy room. And it was Argentino Juniors, you know, where like people like Messi and um, yeah. Maradona played, you know, when they were young. And there's all their shirts there. That was kind of cool. But there, there was a real affinity. Their ground was like what Queen's Park Rangers ground was when I first went. We didn't have a stand to go to the boys' pen when I was little. You went in through one lot of turnstiles. This was the official way of doing it. Climbed over a brass bank, slid down, run across the corner of the pitch, then climbed over the wall to get into the kids' pen behind the goal. That was like the official way of doing it. And their ground was like that. And I went, I went for a leak at half time. And the urinals were just a piece of plastic covering. <laughs> it was funky. But the atmosphere was great, you know. And, and they told me that about a month before Mick Jagger had been and they lost. But we won that game. I think we won one nil, and they they said I was a rock. I said, there you go. They said, well, you brought us good luck. So, and I got scarves on. I said, that's kind of cool, you know. You know, you you have something that belongs to a small percentage of people in the world, which is the universal passport and language of of our planet, which is you're a musician, and you're a football fan. So you basically can go anywhere you'd like. And have always someone something to chat about and something to open doors for you. What's that like going around the world, playing your music, and then finding the local teams, as you just discussed in Argentina? But does this happen to you around the globe? Um, a, a little bit, but I mean not as much as that. I mean that was sort of a hack and stance kind of thing, and you know, you sort of form with a bond with somebody you're hanging out with and they, oh, I can't see you because I'm going to football. Well, I'll come. You really want to come and see my team? Yeah. You know, and I would do that elsewhere as well, but you just never normally around that much. But it's something to do and it's, and it's a way of finding out about people's culture and you get an affinity with people. Then you find out around the world, you know, whatever their ethnicity pretty much the same, really. You know, they want to work, they want to feed their kids, they want to get on with people. They don't want to be too put on, put upon by the powers that be. They want to have a laugh. They want to be able to let off steam. You know, you you kind of get, get that by doing the things that they do, which aren't really that much different from yours. I mean, it's just the hardest thing sometimes is getting a ticket. It is true that it is a, a view into how cultures react and that we all do want the same things is, is sort of like what the thesis of what I'm doing with this podcast are hoping to try and do is that to show that we're more alike than people think we are. Um, and that's all of us. But when outsiders come to friends of yours or from out of town, come to come to London, what's it like taking them to a QPR match and seeing their reactions? Um, well, I don't know. I, I, I've got a new manager who's Canadian and he used to be part of half of the Motorhead management team. And I, 
about a year ago he was here. We went to see Queen's Park Rangers. I bought the ticket, so like 35 quid each, blah, 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 blah. I went with my son and we lost 4 0. That wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, you ask him. But it was fun. You know, it was fun apart from the losing. You know. As we discussed, you know, that QPR in second division, it's said that the championship is so difficult that it might be one of the hardest leagues in the world. Do you think that that is a fair statement to make? I think, I think it is, you know, because lots of teams sort of seem to cancel each other out. And there's always two teams or three teams come down from a premiership. We've got all that kind of parachute payment money and the fantastic teams and only kind of lost, not all of them, but kind of lost the... Um, at the last minute, you know, maybe went down and goal average and stuff, and both went. Yeah, it's it's hard, you know. And there's teams come up from the division below us that have been playing as a team for a long while and sort of got thrown merit. Yeah, it's hard. But when we have gone up to the Premiership in recent years, I was watching on a telly, and there's a guy called Alan Shearer. He used to play for Newcastle, and he's yep. a, a striker, you know. And we we kept losing in the last five minutes of the game. <laughs> Alan Shearer, you know, somebody took the mickey out of the Rangers. You know, he's playing Man City or something like that. And this striker guy, he said, well, don't be too hard on him because it's really hard for defending the whole of the 85 minutes, you know, before the last five minutes. And it's kind of a point, you know. So, but, but we've got some good players now. We've got this great player, my favourite, this, this black guy called Albert Adoma. Okay. And he's, He's only been with us for a couple of seasons. He's a good sort of winger, old-fashioned midfielder, winger, defender, really good on the ball. But he's such a Queen's Park Rangers fan. And he played for another team up till about three or four years ago. And he would, but he was a Queen's Park Rangers fan. He would go to the club shop and buy a shirt and wait outside for the players to come up to get them to sign him. Wow. And now, we, you know, and everybody knows that. And he gets such a cheer when he comes on. He's great. That's beautiful. You know, you. I, I've also had a few um, sort of run-ins with Queen's Park Rangers players. One of the biggest things I've ever done, I played some charity five-a-side football at Wembley Empire Pool. It's the indoor bit of Wembley Stadium. When I had a band called the Richards, and every team was allowed to have a professional player. And we had Stan Bowles playing for us, who used to play for Queen's Park Rangers in England, which is kind of cool. And... The guy, the our league guitar was in goal. I gave away a penalty by inadvertently putting my foot over the D, you know, and five aside. And Ralph Coates took it, wasn't mucking around. And my mate Steve saved from Ralph Coates, he used to play for Burnley in England. And I said, How'd you do that? And he said, Well, he's playing goal for what you know, all combined schools of Westminster. I never knew that, it was kind of good. Ralph Coates is a bit of night, great. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, some of those little things kind of add up over there. I'm not the only person that's done that, but Rod Stewart was playing that night, actually, with Elton John, they had a team. That's and right. Had, I, think, I think they had Dennis Law playing for him. I mean, it's a long while ago, but, yeah. You know, being a fan... Had, you want to hear a funny story? Mm-hmm. Like, a few years back, I did... Um, I got asked to do Talk Sport Radio, and I kind of did it because I was plugging the geek. And I'd been away out the country. And you know, we've got VAR now. Mm-hmm. Well, they brought it in because this ball had crossed the line. And it, 
it, the goal didn't go. So, and it, while I was away and came back, I, I read about it and it became known as the goal that never was, right? And when you do a radio show, a bit like us earlier on, they call you up about five or ten minutes and keep you hanging on the line to make sure you're there, right? right? Now, I only did this show because I wouldn't plug the gig, but I found out my hero, Rodney Marsh, was hosting it. And when I'm on the phone, there's all these old professional football players talking about the goal that never was. But I hadn't seen it because I've been out the country and I was on still jet lagged and stuff. I thought, how on earth am I going to get out of this? And I said, Rodney, and they played anything you can. And it's it's come out from the second. I'm talking to my football hero. I said, Rodney, the goal that never was. He said, yeah, what about it? I said, well, never mind that goal that never was. I didn't tell him I hadn't seen it. I said, how about this goal that never was? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, in the third division, midweek game, I was watching you, you know, as a sort of young teenager. You won a penalty. You put the ball on the spot. You walk back, you adjusted your boot, you run up, swung at it, and the goalkeeper saved. I said, but the goalkeeper didn't save the, the ball. He saved your boot that had somehow come off. And while he was lying on the ground looking puzzled, you slotted the ball in the other corner. I said, do, do I remember that right? And he said, no, that happened. Right? And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, he said, the goal should have stood because I kicked the ball. Right? He said, but the referee was in a state of apoplexy, didn't know what to do, and he made me take it again. And he said, and I scored. I said, did you do it deliberately? And he went, might have. <laughs> you know, real conspiratorial. Right. But that's what I liked about it. Rangers always had a player like that. And he, as well as playing fantastic football, he was an entertainer as well. Well, later on in his career, he played, played for Fulham with George Best. And they were so good at dribblers, you know, running rings around the other players, even though he was older. There's a clip on YouTube, you can see, where George Best and Rodney Marsh are on the same team, and they're tackling each other for a laugh. It's, it's fantastic. You should look it up. George Best and, that, and Bobby Moore was even sort of in the team, you know, when they're in their sort of mid-30s or something. What a holy trinity to have on your team, even though, like, you know, they may have been past their prime at that point. But that is, you know, when you think of English soccer, British soccer, British football, that those are the names. Those are the guys that come, you know, immediately come to your head. And the fact that they were all on one team, sometimes even the same field together as opposition is it's incredible. And you have seen the evolution of all of this. You've seen the evolution of the sport throughout the decades. What do you make of the modern game as opposed to when you were a kid? Now, I know like when we're younger, we tend to romanticize things as we get older of what it's like. But what is the how does the modern game feel to you? Um, how does it feel? Well, it's become a lot more kind of corporate and stuff. But I think fans are as passionate as they they ever were. Um, I think the tolerance of fans for managers it's not quite working out for is maybe a bit too short. And I think one of the reasons KPR hadn't been doing so well is we had no stability in the in the management department. But now we've got a guy called Mark Warbolt. And then it's, 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 it's two or two and a half seasons he's actually been managing the team, you know. And that's sort of unheralded. Um, for us. But when 
I supported Rangers first time around. We had a guy called Alex Stock, who was probably there for 10 years, you know. Wow. So I think it's good to have some kind of stability, and that's a total no no. Um, it's changed, but it's kind of the way the world it is what it is, really, I suppose. Yeah. It leads me into my next question because today we have everything at our fingertips, thanks to social media and the breakneck speed of the internet. But that wasn't always the case. So what was it like following QPR before we had all of these lovely tools? Um, well, you had to go. You yeah, went to see a game. You know, especially when your teams in the third division. The only way you could see them, you, they wouldn't even have the highlights on the telly. You, you had to go. But it was like, when we first put out Anarchy in the UK, you know, Malcolm McLaren would say, the biggest commitment a fan could make is to go and find a shop that stocks and sold your record and buy it. You know, fancy. The best thing you could do is invest in a, an early proto-punk rock fanzine and support the cause. So you're supporting the, the cause. Now, what was I going to go on to say? Oh, yeah, and then I was going to say, like, Steve Jones is a big football fan and he's known for supporting Chelsea, but he moved to Los Angeles yeah. and he confided in me that um, he only really moved there because he liked the TV programme Chips, you know, with the coppers. When they're <laughs> yeah, like, Eric Estrada, are you serious? Yeah. But, but also... I, I said, I thought you supported the Rangers years back. And he said, well, I used to float between, you know, whoever was at home at that weekend, I would float between Chelsea, when they weren't then so well, Chelsea, Fulham and QPR. He said, but when I moved to LA and Chelsea were doing better than those other teams were, that was the only team you could see on the TV regularly. So he ended up supporting them. So that makes some kind of sense, you know. Oh, um, wow. I mean, I, I hope to get him on and play this clip for him because I would love to hear his reaction to all of this. That's hilarious. There he's there. There's news now, or there has been news of there's the sex pistol show that Danny Boyle is directing based on uh, Jonesy's book. Uh, What do you know about it? What can you tell us about it? Well, I'm sort of a little bit involved in it. I've been down to a couple of films. I met the guy who's playing me, met Danny Boyle a couple of times. Um, Yeah. It could be quite good. Really. We'll see. He's but I don't know. I haven't seen the finished script. They're, they're quite tight, tight with that. You know, right. the danger is it's going to come across as a documentary when it isn't really, although it's based on Steve's book. And Danny Boyle has assured me and assured everybody he likes everybody in the band is a fan of equally, and he's going to do everybody's justice. But somebody else's idea of doing somebody justice might not be the same as yours so i don't know but i think you know there was you probably read there was a court case about it john wasn't happy about it but i think steve should be able to tell his story steve formed the band it was steve's band you know if the guy who formed the band can't tell his story about it i think that would be morally wrong so i backed up steve and and paul in the court case cool yeah, Danny Boyle is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers, so I'm very, very excited to see this. And um, yeah, I'm happy to hear that you're involved in it too. You know, from an out from an outsider point of view, it seemed like the punk movement, and you t- did touch on this earlier, so I want to expand on this a little bit more. But from an outsider point of view, the punk movement, which were you, you know, a proud founder of, it never really seemed to take I'm on. I'm not that proud about it. What's that? <laughs> I said, I'm not that proud. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but it never seemed to take on a love of football, despite being so part of the British culture and intertwined together. 
Is that true? And what was it like supporting a team while you were making a career and a path that might not have accepted it? Um, well, what was it like? But as I said earlier on, you know, when you're in a band and you start getting busy and doing stuff and traveling well, you can't really go and support your team, although you might keep an eye out for the results. It's not the same as it was now when every, you know, to be a, a rocker, you've got to support a football team and bang on about it. Or It wasn't like that back then. It's become like that, you know, like Oasis support. Man City, you know, even when Man City worked on very well until they got. You said you mentioned the Gallaghers, who obviously, you know, brought their love of music and British culture to the world, and probably the greatest advertisers Man City ever had prior to all the money coming in, and that was sort of accepted in that second wave of Britpop in the in the nineties, but. In the 70s, it sort of seemed like punk was its own thing, and we're not going to go. Well, it, well, it was. You know, it won. There's not remember the train for me. The people didn't go on about it. But, you know, and John always picked up on this. So he would sing some of the songs would be based on your songs, they sing, you know. So, you know, and John, when we reformed, you know, you get the crowd going, you fat bastard, you fat bastard. It's a football chomp, you know. So, you know, there is some kind of, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I got you. No, no, for sure. Because what's funny is, is that you mentioned, you know, going to QPR games with Mick Jones. And it, to me, it was just like, you know, when you see the pistols and you see the clash and you see, you know, that, that British wave of the late 70s, it, no one ever really discussed or talked about the love of the sport. But then in the 90s, it, that changed. And, it you know, Damon Auburn is a Chelsea fan. And, uh, again, we referenced the Gallaghers. But you know, uh, Jarvis Cocker is a Sheffield fan. It, was, it became like, wow, this is... A, this well, is I, th- I, think that, I think Ben's a little bit cynical about it. And I'm, I'm not disputing any of those people don't support those teams. But it's kind of quite an easy way to show you're a bit more working class than people might have you down as, you know. Gotcha. Right? Maybe. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean you're not working class and you you um, support the team. It doesn't mean that. But, you know, people think sometimes that Pop stars are full of airs and graces, which they can be, but it doesn't mean you can't say, Gabo, you are, you know. <laughs> uh, we're recording this episode in late October 2020. Ah, let me just redo that line. Three, two. We're recording this episode late in October 2021, but what are your plans for 2022 and how can fans keep up with you with what's going on? Well, how can I get up with me? I've got a website, glenmatrock.co.uk. I'm all over Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, railing against um, Brexit and the stupid right-wing Tory government we got. Um, I'm desperately trying to find a way of getting out of this country, which I will do. But but the problem with that is, is not being able to go and see the Rangers. I'm back into Steve James' territory. You know, I've had this conversation with my son. And I've also bought a season ticket this year for the first 
time again since we started doing better, since we got Charlie Austin playing for us again. Um, and it was encouraging. Um, and I'm playing, you know, getting good gigs booked in. Hopefully I'll be back in the States. I've, I've got a really good album that I'm really proud of in the can. I've just signed a new recording contract on it that will be coming out early in the year. So hopefully I'll be early next year. Um, which isn't bad that when I've just reached retirement age at 65. Um, and I'm getting offers all round to go and do this and play my music on my terms. You know, there's the pistols. Every now and then Ronnie Wood calls me up and I did some bass playing with him for possibly a Faces project, but I don't know quite what it's going to be. And I don't think they quite know yet. Um, you know, I get calls to do this, that and the other. Life's all right. You know, I'm not a multi-millionaire, but I'm not skinned. And I get to go and do interesting things in interesting places. And I'm trying to make the most of it. So that's my plan, is to keep continuing to do that until until old to be able to, you know. I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, that's, that's really something that's... I'm not complaining, you know, I'm not complaining. But, you know, I do see myself... I had this conversation with Clem Burke, who's a friend of mine, who plays with loads of people all the time. And he said, he's in, yeah, it's great that he's in Blondie, he digs Blondie and Blondie are good. But he just wants to be a working musician. Yeah. And to continue to be that at our kind of ages is, um, you know, you kind of got to work at it a little bit. And there's a lot of happenstance and you've got to put yourself in the right place at the right time. You've got to know what you're doing. But it's kind of some kind of an achievement, really. And then, and then you look at people like, you know, I've had a, I'm known for doing stuff donkey's years ago with Sex Pistols with some big hits and all that. But I still write songs. I still think I write some good songs. And my own personal fan base is kind of small, but maybe more select, I like to think. But, you know, that's kind of all right. And I keep doing that. But when you look at somebody like, the Stones or David Bowie or, you know, somebody who's really big who, who, who put out... A lot of people can have one or two hit records, but to sustain that over a 30-year career is really quite an achievement. And I think what really spurs me on now is you're only ever one record away from having, like, a radio hit and maybe selling over records, you know, and it's down to the song... And all the, what's, what's this, some Shakespearean expression? You know, everything's in the place at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, beware the Ides of March. Well, look out for the Ides of February. You know, it's all going to, all the stars are going to align. It's all going to come together. And that's what drives you. You might do that. And then after all this time, I want people to say, yeah, Glenn Matlock, he's pretty good, you know, helping start punk rock and he did some good stuff with Vegan and all that. Have you, had a, have you heard his last record? It's fantastic. You know, his latest record. That's what drives me. Well, Love it. I, uh, we're coming towards the end of this. Oh, I and have... that's the other thing I was going to say and all. And, and, you know, just going back to that and music and the things in Salason, we had a player who played for Queen's Park Rangers um, and he kept us up in the premiership about five or six seasons ago by doing a jammy lob from the end, edge of the box and then went in. His name's Gareth Ainsworth. And the next season, he ended up as player manager for the Queen's Park Rangers for a little bit. 
like an interim manager, and I met him, right? And it turns out that he had a band, and even when he was the manager of Queen's Park Rangers, they had a, have an annual dinner and dance, and his band was called Dog Chewed the Handle, right? Right, I think that was like a covers band. I never saw him, and he offered that they played at the the um, Queen's Park Rangers annual dinner and dance, you know. And do you know what? And he was the manager at the time. They wouldn't let him. <laughs> so I don't know how good they were. It can't have been that good. But anyway, then he was injured, and we did a series of shows at Brixton Academy with the the um, the Pistols. And for that lob that kept us up this previous season, I got him and his wife and his mate, who was another player from another team, who was also injured, and his wife. I got them in the disabled enclosure at, at, at Brixton Academy at the Saint Sex Festival. And that's kind of cool. And then sometimes they invite the old players back and they walk on the pitch at half time. You know, this is our, this is our championship winning team from 1990 nine or something like that, or this is the team kept us up. And he was on the pitch and I texted him and I said, Gareth, good to see you back down on Loftus Road. And he texted me back from a bit of a circle. He said, oh, thanks a lot, Ben. Rock on. Oh, yeah, I like that kind of interconnection. It's great. I love that. I love that. Yeah, now, too. you know what's going to happen now, Glenn, is that the next my next trip to London, I'm going to ask That's you, can we go to a QPR right? game? Yeah, but you know one thing, I hope you're not a vegetarian. No, 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 no. Good. Because one of the things that one must do when we go down there is there's a pie. You know what pie is? You know, of course, yeah. They do this particularly good one, and the brand is Pucker, you know, P-double-K-A, which means, like, proper, you mm-hmm. know, Pucker. And they do a chicken balti, which is like a curry pie. And unless mm-hmm. I have one of those before the game, we don't do very well. So you got to have one before the game, all right? I'll eat two for you, all right? How's that? Well, I, no, I, you, no, let's, let's not overdo it. You've got to be reasonable. <laughs> I you know, love that's, it. You know, that's the, that's the rabbit's foot of that, the football. Cup of tea and a puck of pie. Sounds good. So as long, yeah. as, you, as long as you can do that, you can come and be my guest, all right? Done deal. Done deal. I got three questions to ask you. This is the final part of the interview. I asked well, the I better a sip of my cold coffee than you're Yeah, right. have a sip of your cold coffee. Uh, get the juices flowing. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup. Drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Um, so these are the same three questions I ask every guest at the end of every episode. And I'm going to start off with the first one. If you can bring back one former player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, Rodney Marsh. I had a feeling you'd say that. Rodney Marsh. But also, there's a few other people that I'm going to mention because this is a worldwide thing. And I don't think their names will be out there. When we got, it's either we won promotion from the third to the second division, or when we got through to the League Cup final, all the kids run and picked. You're not allowed to do that now, but it wasn't to ban. And we uh, and we had a fullback. It was a really old bloke called Jimmy Lanley, and he was very bow legged. And um, my dad would say he couldn't stop the pig in a passage. Right? 
right? But I shook hands with him, and he was this really old bloke with that. And we had a fantastic other winger called Mark Lazarus, who um, was a Jewish bloke, actually. But, and I remember one game, his, his shorts got torn, and he shouted for a new pair of shorts, and they threw a new pair on, and on the pitch, he took the old ones off, and he had the, the torn ones in one hand. He was just about to put the new ones on, and somebody put the ball in front of him, and he ran down the pitch with shorts and up, at Ibrahim in his jock strap and crossed the ball. I can't remember it when it, but that was kind of good. So I think he deserves a worldwide match from Mark Lazarus. He was a good player. Love um, it. There you go. All right. All right. If your club could sign one player today, who would it be and why? I, I'd really like Jack Grealish, actually. I think really? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic player. We'd never get him, but I'd really like him because the way he puts his hair back, he looks like my dad when he used to play football okay. as a young man. He didn't wear a band, but he had sort of that sort of 50s kind of Boston, you know, where it goes right back like that. And finally, last question here. What is your favourite moment as a fan? Well, there's loads of kind of good ones and there's loads of not so good ones. But one, I do remember when England won the World Cup in 1966, I didn't go to the game, I was 10, watched it on telly. And then my dad found out that the England team was staying at the Royal Garden Hotel in Chelsea in uh, Kensington. Went there early evening, right? And there's like a bit where the car's driving, which is like a big balcony. And there was a crowd, a couple of thousand people out there. I'm on my dad's shoulders. And the team come out. But just before that tournament, 66, the Jules Rimet trophy got stolen. Yes. Right? And it was discovered by some old bloke walking his dog in the park, and the dog sniffed this thing and found it. And somebody must have slung it because, you know, it was such a hot thing. You could never sell it. Right? And anyway, the England team out, and they got a massive cheer. And then this old boy came out, but nobody knew he was. And he held up the dog, and the dog got the biggest chair of night, and the dog was called Pickles. And I saw Pickles live, in the, it, not in the flesh, in the fur. That, that was a big man. That was great. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh, Jeff Hurst, and it wasn't Sir Bobby Charlton. It was it was Pickles the dog that. Well, yeah, but mind you, I was ten or eleven then. In my mind, it, it the dog got the biggest chair of the night. It's amazing. Oh, Glenn, this has been so... See, it's, not, it's, not only, it's not only football of the game. It's what goes on around it. It's, That's it. It's, it's, I, I will say this, you know, as we discussed earlier, football is sort of a religion to all Italians. And, I, you know, I'm a prime example of that. But the greatest drama and the greatest soap opera will always be off the field. It'll always... And, you know, and as Italians, we love all of that. So it, it just... It, it's perfect... And I can't think of a better way to end this episode. All right, but I'm going to, I'm going to leave you one little thing. I haven't yeah. had many awards or anything. And maybe just behind me, you might be able to see there's a statuette. I don't know if you can see it on the side. There's my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame award, which we weren't supposed to have. I, I got it. All right. And that's pretty cool. But I've also got a little tiny medal. It's in the drawer somewhere. When I won the five-a-side league when I was about 16 in Fulham, and I prefer that. Okay. 
Beautiful. I love the fact that... Uh, and we had, the best, we, we had the best name for a football team ever because one of the kids whose dad run the team, he lived in an area of London when they were in my scores. And the road, the main road is called North Pole Road. So he called the team Arctic Athletic. So there you go. Perfect. All right. Glenn, thank you so much. This was great. All right. So, so yeah, I've enjoyed doing it. So there you go. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.